We're talking about unchecked aggression here. What the dude. fuck is he talking My about? My rug. Forget Look. it, Donnie. You're Walt, out of your element. Walt. He peed on the dude's rug. Donnie, you're out of your element. This guy peed on it. Donnie, please. That's a petter ass, Walter. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. I am the walrus. That's ex shut the fuck up, Donnie. They posted the next round for the tournament. Donnie, shut the fuck up. When do we play? It's Saturday. Near the In-N-Out Burger. Those are good burgers, Walter. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. We'll be near the In-N-Out Burger. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Who's in pajamas, Walter? Shut the fuck up, Donnie. The Tainted Glove presents Yumper and Spo at the Show podcast with Tom Yumper Garcia. Oh, what a big man you are. Hey, let me buy you a pack of gum. I'll show you how to chew it. And Justin Svos Foboda. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Two guys from Chicago talking movies. Welcome, everyone, to episode four of Yumper and Swole at the show, presented by Attain Glove. I'm one of your co-hosts, Tom Garcia. They call me Yumper. And I'm also with my co-host, Justin Swoboda. They call him Swo. How's it going, Swo? Yumper, how are you, buddy? Good, man. Good. Lots of stuff to get to this week. Yeah, we have a fun episode planned for everybody. Uh, you and I have kind of been talking about it behind the scenes for the last two weeks and how excited we were to talk about these movies. Yes, yes. And then we have a little spoiler-free review of The Batman. I know I finally saw mine today, and I know you've seen it a few times this week. Yeah, I saw it three times this week, and I absolutely loved it. Um, and for me to say this means a lot. It's, it's the best Batman movie I've ever seen. Yeah, I agree with you. But let's get into that app in um, a minute. Um. Yeah, so before we go into our usual Twitter questions, we wanted to do a review of the Batman, which we're going to start right now. But um, also shout out to uh, our winner of the Batman tickets, Will. Yes. Yes, our buddy Shankster, a loyal listener to the pod, who um, he messages us during the week, and he's always engaged in conversation. Um, yeah, I absolutely, I'm sorry. Like, I was so excited to talk about Batman. <laughs> I forgot that we have some audience uh, participation this week and we had the batman uh ticket giveaway yeah so uh shankster thank you so much uh we really appreciate you just listening actually we appreciate everybody listening um and we will have further things where we kind of give the the audience a little uh like incentive or like a little thank you from us for listening uh, we really appreciate you guys um but before we get to the batman actually let's just go into the twitter question uh we had a question of the week this week dealing with our favorite cult classics and uh I'm going to give you a couple of them that were on Twitter. We have a bunch of good choices. Uh, we have Crystal O'Keefe, Crystal O'K, who gave us uh, Battle Royal, which is, I think is a pretty good movie. Uh, we have Keelan the Intimidator, who gave us Best of the Best, which to me is hilarious because it has uh, James Earl Jones in it. And uh, Eric Roberts. Yes, Eric Robertson as well. Uh, also Chris Penn. Oh, rest in peace, Chris yes. Penn. Um, Shy Socks at Shy Socks 04 gave us Clue, which is another movie that's great. I'm a really big fan of Tim Curry. Uh, Mailman Jack giving us a shout out with Brazil. And his gif is hilarious when they stretch her face. Friend of the pod, uh, Burly Cat, gave us, uh, he loves uh, Labyrinth. Yeah, David Bowie with those tight ass pants. 
<laughs> we uh so Matt and I had a whole conversation about um Labyrinth the other day. You know, a couple weeks ago, I would say what was it like a month or so ago now? Like a bunch of us met up for lunch and we went to Kuma's. And Kuma's during the month of um I think it's July, they do a burger named after a heavy metal band called Goblin Cock, and it was inspired by uh labyrinth and i showed that to matt and he's like we got to go get that burger i need the goblin cock those were his words exactly so <laughs> also uh, i saw a cool thing on tiktok now that uh, you mentioned labyrinth like um they actually showed when david bodie would do the tricks with the with the uh, labyrinth balls it actually wasn't him it's actually a guy a professional juggler behind him doing them so <laughs> and he had to do it like without seeing so he was doing it blind which is amazing because he was uh, amazing with the uh, juggling love it but uh let's c- continue on to uh bennett tk with highlander that's a great movie uh, uh when i when i when i hear that line there can be only one though for some reason though i'm not reminded of highlander i'm reminded of the kevin smith movie zach and miri make a porno when there's two <laughs> zacks at the high school reunion and the mm-hmm. one Zach come, keeps coming up to him and he goes, there can be only one. So <laughs> I know Highlander is like a cult classic and everybody loves it. Not everybody, but like it has a cult following. But that line makes me think of Zach and Mary make a porno. Yeah, to me, uh, besides Highlander, the line always reminds me of uh, one of my favorite shows I used to watch on Adult Swim, which was Aqua Teen Hunger Force. And there's actually an episode with... Um, uh, Master Shake and this doll called Happy Time Harry, who they think is a Highlander, and it's the whole premise of this like short episode. It's hilarious. You got a chance to check out. Kfids and I had a whole conversation last week about the Moon Knights because I <laughs> loved Aqua Teen. Yeah, you I'm a big fan of him. I'm doing it as hard as I can. Yeah, me and my brother go back uh, back and forth texting like, uh, "Our God is an Indian who turns into a wolf, and he will cut you with his razor." <laughs> so yeah, Aqu- we uh. Aquatine was fantastic. I loved it when it was on. Yeah, uh, that show is awesome. And then we're rounding it out with Scarlett Ramirez with Showgirls. <laughs> Naomi, um, Elizabeth Berkley's big movie debut after Saved by the Bell. Yep. And a Paul Verhoeven classic, if you will. Paul Verhoeven is responsible for some of my favorite movie moments ever, like Robocop and the Cult classic, which I don't know if it's going to get a mention in this episode. Starship Troopers. Don't forget, uh, he also directed Total Recall. He did do Total Recall. He did do Total Recall. And I absolutely, but Starship Troopers, to me, should be on that list. And I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't think of it. Yeah, I, uh, well, we'll get into our list. But uh, Starship Troopers is another movie that, like, usually they say the book is better than the movie. Like, Starship Troopers, the movie is better than a book. Like, I tried reading the book, and it's not... It's the same thing with Dune. It's not that great. Yeah, uh, Dune was... Uh, the book nor the movie was good. So, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't read the book. I know there's a lot of Dune book lovers out there. I tried watching the movie, and I fell asleep. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Different strokes for different folks. But with that, we're going to get into Swole's uh, happy time with some discussion on the Batman. So, Swole, give me your spoiler-free thoughts on the Batman. Awesome. I'm super excited to have this this opportunity to talk about this. I like I said earlier, I think it was the best Batman movie I've ever seen. I'm not saying it was the best like 
movie about Batman, but it's the best version or representation of Batman himself. Um, Robert Pattinson absolutely is no longer Edward Cullen from Twilight. He is Bruce Wayne, Batman. Very good, very dark, very moody. Um, Matt Reeves shot this movie beautifully. Chicago and New York were both on um, the big stage in this movie. It's long. It's two hours and 56 minutes, but it doesn't feel that way. The music and the score was fantastic. Fantastic use of of a Nirvana, uh, a reimagining of a Nirvana song. I loved every single minute of this. And I think it surpassed the Dark Knight for my favorite Batman movie. Yeah, those are some big, uh, big words that are surpassing Dark Knight. And I'm going to have to agree with you. I saw the movie today with uh, my buddy Johnny. Shout out to Johnny. Uh, and we both came away feeling the same exact way. Uh, Robert Pattinson was awesome in his role. Uh, his Keaton is always going to be my favorite Batman. And I always say that Christian Bale is a great Bruce Wayne. But Robert Pattinson, I think, knocked it out of the ballpark shedding any um, pre-notion of feelings that he's just still Edward from Twilight. And he's been doing that over the years, taking uh, obscure roles in The Good. He was in Lighthouse, uh, Tenet. So he's been doing that on his own. But this, to me, like cements that he totally walked out of that mold. Paul Dano was excellent as the Riddler. Um, couldn't have, I don't think anybody else could have played that role. All around, I think they had a very good cast. Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman was great john tutorial jeffrey wright is now my favorite jim gordon like, yes jeffrey wright K-Fids i know best he's friend. best friends with kfids but he is now my favorite jim gordon he was fantastic that relationship i, I don't want to give away any more than that but that relationship kind of it blossoms on the screen and then there's like a, a, a trust that's developed and it's it's really really good and really really well done and this movie took elements of the long halloween and hush and all these like iconic Batman books and put them together. And it was just absolute perfection. I think my only regret is that AMC was sold out of the bat cowl Halloween pop, uh, popcorn buckets. Um, and I didn't get one. So I was a little sad, but it, it was just, it was a perfect Batman movie. I'm very excited to see where this franchise goes. Yeah. So am I, uh, the movie was excellent. Also, just uh, everybody is complaining. Some people are complaining online. I saw about the time being over two hours. Now, my thinking is this movie is not a stereotypical superhero movie. It's not a stereotypical Batman movie. Uh, to me, it's more serious than the Christopher Nolan movies. And that's kind of like interesting considering that Nolan pushed for realism in all his aspects of the three Batman movies. And this movie, I think, is a little bit more taking him to be taken more seriously. Robert Pattinson's portrayal of Bruce Wayne Batman is a totally different portrayal that we've seen in the film universe. It felt to me like David Fincher got his hands on a Batman movie. Yes. Directed it like, and there are scenes that are that, that are in this movie that are taken directly from other movies. And you can tell, I don't want to say them on here because I still want people to have that opportunity for like surprise, but like, once more people have seen this movie, I would love to share that those thoughts about what scenes I'm referring to specifically. But it it felt like David Fincher got a hold of a Batman movie and just absolutely killed it. So 
like shout out to Matt Reeves who absolutely just destroyed making this movie. It was amazing. Yes. And uh, Matt Reeves also a big fan of the uh, 1960s Batman movie with Adam West. There so. were a couple small homages that I picked up on the second and third viewings to the Adam West 60s Batman um, in the movie. And it was really cool. You and I can talk about that off screen. Yeah. But, you know, overall, great movie. Uh, the cinematography is beautiful. I, I do like uh, the way they use certain scenes where it was blurry and they made you focus on one aspect of the shot. That was great. Um, the shots in the dark were beautifully done. I did, this is a beautiful movie in, in all sense. Uh, I really recommend you guys go and see it. And we don't want to spoil anymore because if we keep talking, we will probably spoil something. So we're going to move on. But yeah, definitely check out the Batman. Absolutely. If I had to rank it on a scale of five stars, it would easily be uh, like 4.75. I think I the, the things that I could complain about are so minuscule and dumb that only like a real Batman fan would be like, all right, I get it. <laughs> definitely um but yeah if you guys see it tweet us at uh yumper and swo um hit us up there and let us know what you guys think hashtag batman but with that we're gonna move into our meat and potatoes of the show so we don't want to get ahead of ourselves there we want to know we want to know your what your classic cult classics were in terms of movies now so what's your idea of a cult classic so for me, a cult classic is a movie that didn't get the love that it deserved in the mainstream, but found its target audience, whether it was on VHS release, DVD release, streaming, uh, and it really spoke to like a certain group of people or found its voice after its theatrical release. Yeah, I would echo that with you. I buy opinions of cult classic, what a cult classic is, but I do think that sometimes movies that make money are successful at the box office and people are like, Oh, that was a great movie. They're not, they sometimes they can still be considered cult classics because if we think about it, there's been movies that were big box office. Like I'll give you like avatar. Everybody loved avatar when it came out. I made the most money before Spider-Man knocked it off this year. Avatar and, is the worst movie ever made, but Sorry. I understand. But like how big of a cult classic has that been? Not really. I mean, it's a big yeah. box office draw, but I think that some cult classics could also be successful movies that transcend that transcend a time. I get what you're saying. Like, it definitely has like its audience where people still go back and revisit it. I don't know if it def if it qualifies as like a cult because a cult is is not the mainstream. But I, I get what you're saying when it comes to a movie like Avatar. Yeah, that's just my opinion. But I mean. We're here for our own opinions. And guys, before we get to our list, just a heads up. This is our opinions. So everybody has different ones. And let us know what yours are at Yelper and so on Twitter. And with that, let's get into ours. So let's go into my list. And my first movie is Surprise, Surprise. Who? Jack Burton. Me. Surprise, Surprise. Big Trouble in Little China and made it in 1986, directed by John Carpenter, starring the great Kurt Russell as Jack Burton, Kim Cattrall, Dennis Dunn, James Hong, and Victor <clears throat> Victor Wang as uh I can't as uh I can't think of his name right now. But you know what I'm talking about. Great movie. It only made eleven million dollars at the box office on a twenty-five million dollar budget. So it did not make a lot of money 
at the box office, but it became a big hit with VHS rentals and also playing um, on TV. I actually first saw this movie on USA Up All Night. <laughs> that's where I first got into the Big Trouble in Little China. So that's was that, pretty long went back. Was that Roger Corman or was that Elvira when you uh, saw it on Up All Night? Because remember, they both they went back and forth as hosts. Was it Elvira that was the uh, host? I think it was somebody else. I it? mean, I think they, I think both of them did it at some point. It was definitely uh, Ron Deshear that was the person that was. Okay. Yeah, I remember Gilbert Gottfried being on there too, but I know it was the girl because uh, I remember watching it with my dad, and then I got obsessed with uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Um, it's still talked about to today. They're actually pushing for a remake, which I don't want to happen. Uh, they're talking about sequels, and I don't want that to happen either. John Carper is totally against it. But it's a movie that still stands tall today, and it's been over 30 years, and they're still talking about it. What do you think, Swell? I don't have the affinity for this movie that you do. Like, I know you love it, but I, you know how I feel about John Carpenter. Um, I love John Carpenter's work. I love Kurt Russell. I really do. Um, I, I visit... Kurt Russell and Death Proof more often than most people probably would, but I, I I get it. I get why this movie has the following that it does. It it's like pure '80s, like it just screams '80s, and it's it's kind of it's kind of perfect for a cult classic. Definitely. And let's move on to my next one. Replicants are like any other machine. They're either a benefit or a hazard. If they're a benefit. It's not my problem. 1982's Blade Runner, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Harrison Ford, Rucker Howard, Sean Young, Daryl Hannah, and Edward James Olmos. Uh, the movie started off on a $30 million budget, and it made $41.6 million box office, so it did make some money. Um, and then there was also some direct sequel, well, director cuts, and they had a sequel 35 years later for Blade Runner 2049, starring uh, Ryan Gosling. Uh, movie has basically impacted the sci-fi community. Uh, there's been so many releases of actually adding that extra two frames or extra two seconds of film. I know it's been made fun of on The Big Bang Theory where Sheldon has talked about it. They added an extra second of the film time where they have to see it. Uh, just a uh, wonderful story. Uh, like I said, big following and one of my favorites. Yeah, I mean, it's influenced so many like other bodies of work like like i don't think we we would have gotten um a dune remake if we didn't get blade runner 2049 and then dune um it's very influential it's harrison ford it's i mean it's it's blade runner it's it's pretty it's a pretty great movie yeah it's a it's a classic and it does have that cult status but moving on to our next we are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. 1971's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, directed by Mel Stewart, written by Richard Dahl, and starring Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka. Now, this movie had a $3 million budget, and it only made four at the box office. Uh, this is one of, like a movie that's uh, near and here to dear to my heart. I uh, watched this movie as a kid a lot. My son actually loves this movie and watches this repeatedly. Uh, it's beautifully shot with a bunch of beautiful cinematography. Um, this movie actually is a role that 
this movie's role as Willy Wonka was something that Gene Wilder was identified by kids going forward into his like and later in his life and into his passing. I remember him talking about it on, um, I think he was doing an interview for Alan, I think. And he said that he still sees kids that, you know, know him as Willy Wonka and he goes up to them and he portrays Willy Wonka. The movie made a ton of money out of VHS rentals. Um, just an all-time classic. Yeah, I mean, it, it's had remakes and, you know, it's based on a really, maybe it didn't so do so well in the initial box office run because of the Raw Doll Association and how beloved his book was, but like, it's it's perfect. Like, I still quote this movie and there are bands that make song titles like based on quotes from this movie. Like, you're turning Violet, Violet. It's it's a great movie. I get I don't understand why it didn't make the money or the draw at the box office, but I get why it has that appeal. Yeah, and Dahl hated the movie. He hated the adaptation of his book. Um he also wants Spike Mulligan, a, a comedian from British uh radio, to actually play Willy Wonka. Um I to me, I don't think anybody else could have played the role. The remake I thought was horrible, even though it was closer to the book, and I love Johnny Depp. I, I just think you just can't. This is a movie that just can't be remade, in my opinion. My, and they're remaking again. <laughs> they are, yeah. My wife has a friend. Um, she stood up in our wedding and she hated, like she hates, like she's deathly afraid of the Oompa Loompas. So <laughs> for a while we were sending her like cardboard cutouts and Funko Pops of the Oompa Loompas just to mess with her. Um, but it it has that effect on people. Like, and some people love it and some people hate it. Uh, but I think it's just a perfect movie. I remember like, like, going to like on a vacation with my family and like you know the adults are standing around drinking and hanging out and they're showing Willy Wonka and I'm like yeah I'm just gonna go watch this it's just a great movie and it's become like a big meme thing now like Gene Wilder and his sarcastic comments as Willy Wonka has become a big meme thing I know I see a lot during baseball um stop don't go come back like stuff like that or oh so you think this and this huh like it's just uh, it's something that's still alive today, and like, like I said, the movie was made forty years ago, forty-one years ago, which is ridiculous. But yeah, let's get to our uh, next one. I sit alone, an impotent exile, whilst this force, this presence, returns to torment me. Nineteen eighty-five's Legend, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Tom Cruise. Mia Sarah and Tim Curry as the Prince of Darkness. Uh, the budget for this movie was $24 million and it made 23 and a half. So came in right below that. Uh, this movie has gotten gathered their cult following just with the rentals. Uh, it also has Tim Curry, who I believe is one of the best character actors in film history. Um, I will fight anybody on that. I think Tim Curry is a wonderful actor. And his makeup for this movie is awesome. If you have not seen this movie or just look up Tim Curry as the devil, it is ridiculous. Like A plus all around. The movie still holds up today. I actually watched it the other day just to do some research. Great movie, great story and fantasy. And Mia Sarah is beautiful as always. I mean, Sloan Peterson, Mia Sarah, like she's she's in legend. She's in Ferris Bueller. You have Tom Cruise. I agree with everything you said about. Tim Curry. He's still my favorite Pennywise. I know that technically wasn't a theatrical release. It was an ABC miniseries, but he played the best Pennywise ever. It's, I, I got to be honest with you, though. I don't love Legend like everybody else does. 
it's not one of my favorites and I, I, I don't quite get it, but I do <laughs> love the cast. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a fantasy movie. It's not for everybody, but I know, um, like especially recently, it's been getting like a lot more steam. Like I've been seeing a lot more online, a lot more people uh, going to. I've seen a lot more people like, uh, well, like comic cons and whatnot. A lot more people dressing up as characters, which means that the movie is coming back around. Now, will they ever remake it? Probably not. But they just started doing Blu-rays of the movie, and this movie was released thirty years ago. So I mean, that's a good sign that you can see there's more interest in peeking in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a crazy story, but just the characters in it is what always drew me to it. But uh, let me get to my next one. I heard a tapping as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. 1994 is The Crow. Now, if you haven't listened to our first episode, you'll know The Crow is one of my favorite movies of all time, along with Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, the movie is directed by Alex Porras, and a graphic novel was written by uh, James O'Barr, which the movie is based off. It's starring Brandon Lee, David Patrick Kelly, Michael Massey, Ernie Hudson and Michael Wincott with Tony Todd as well appearing. Uh, the movie was actually very successful. It had $23 million budget and made $94 million in the box office. Now, why is this movie considered a cult following? Well, like I was telling Swole earlier in my example of a movie that was successful, but can be still be considered a cult following is this movie is still talked about today. It inspired a bunch of cultural aspects, uh, Sting and wrestling. Uh, Dwight from The Office actually said that The Crow is his favorite movie. Um, it's been talked about getting remakes. It spawned three sequels that were, eh, they were really bad. And a TV series with Mark Dacascus. Uh, this movie is probably one of the first movies that we looked at as a dark superhero um, going along with Darkman. Uh, another one where uh, actually grunge music was actually kind of more of the forefront in the 90s and this movie kind of added on to it. Uh, just a all-time great for me. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, it was successful at the box office. I, I think it has this weird following because of the stigma attached to it and that it's just a fantastic movie. Um, I think Alex Proyas did Dark City before The Crow. After. Or after. Um, and um, my cousin, so my cousin Mark, who everyone's got that one older cousin, that shows them cool shit. We've talked about this before. But my cousin Mark went to a con or some signing and he had like a first printing of The Crow signed by James O'Barr. And I was like infatuated by it. Uh, but my cousin Mark was the one that, that showed me all this cool stuff. He showed me real genius. He showed me The Crow. Um, and the movie is just freaking perfect, man. Like, the special effects, there's some scenes that are like, oh, God, if they did that now, like, it would be bad. Like, the like um, Eric's hole, the hole in his hand that heals. Like, if you watch it now, the special effects aren't great. But for 1994, right? Yeah, even the uh, when they added his face um, when he's yeah. thrown out the window. I mean, it looks it doesn't look too good now. But back then, that was cutting edge technology. But back then. And then you have Nine Inch Nails doing the, the Joy Division cover. And you have... Stone Temple Pilots, and you have um, like a, a perfect soundtrack. It's 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 a perfect movie to me. I I love every single every single second of it. Um, the the hot dog scene with with uh, Ernie Hudson and um, 
uh, the girl, what yeah. Name? What was her name? Mia? Uh, no, it was um. Oh my god, no, I can't think of it. Put on the spot. Onions make you fart. Yeah, onions time. make you fart big time. Sarah Monster. Her name was Sarah. Sarah Monster. Um, it, it, I love this movie. I it's another movie that like I tattooed on my arm because I love this movie. Can't rain all the time. Like, yeah, I just uh, the like I'm a big person, a sucker for visuals, and the visuals in this movie are ridiculous. Um, I, I, I just always been one of my favorites, and like you said, that the uh, the soundtrack is one of the best in terms of music. But uh, let's move on to my next one. Fuck you! <laughs> if anybody doesn't know that quote, that's Val from the 1990 movies Tremors, directed by Ron Underwood, starring Kevin Bacon as Val. Fred Ward as Earl, Michael Grossbert, Reba McIntyre, Victor Wong, who we know earlier from the Big Trouble in Little China movie. Uh, this movie had a budget of $10 million and had a box office of 16.7. It was considered a failure. Kevin Bacon, actually, this movie really, really hurt him because he liked the script and this movie, uh, when it didn't do well at the box office, it kind of made him feel like he, was, he didn't know where he was going to go with his career. But thanks to VHS rentals and home buying, along with appearing on TNT and USA, uh, of all the superstations of the presenting the movie after it was released, it developed a big cult following to the point where actually there's spawned six sequels, a TV series, and actually had another pilot with Kevin Bacon returning as Val in 2017 that unfortunately wasn't picked up. Uh, this movie is hilarious in my mind. Uh, it's a it's a horror movie, horror comedy, I would say it is. And Val, um, Val and uh, Earl are hilarious. They're just their, their banter along with Michael Gross, uh, Michael Gross's Bert, uh, especially considering Michael Gross is mostly known from Family Ties until or he's known for Tremors, is great. The movie, uh, to me, all around is just great fun. And I can understand why it has such a big cult following. It very much falls into the same realm as Starship Troopers for me. Like, it's a horror comedy. It's goofy. It's fun. Like, the floor is lava, almost. Like, if that makes sense. Uh, Kevin Bacon's awesome. And you get Michael Gross from Family Matters. Like, one of the one of the GOAT 80 sitcoms. Like, family Ties? Family Ties, not Family Matters. Sorry, yeah, Family Ties. Those are two totally different shows. Both good shows, though. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, Tremors is fun. It's goofy. It's very Starship Troopers-like for me. Yeah, and uh, I'm a big fan of practical effects. So a lot of the effects in here are practically done, and the models built for the uh, Gravoids are really cool. Uh, just an awesome movie. But uh, let's get to our next one. Warriors, come out to play. 1979's The Warriors, directed by Walter Hill. Starring Michael Beck, James Reamer, David Patrick Kelly, and um, music being by Barry Devorzen, which is actually awesome. Uh, the movie had a $4 million budget and it actually made $22 million by box office, but it actually was taken off uh, the movie theater screenings because of there being a lot of gang fights <laughs> at the movie theaters. So they were scared for his public safety. Uh, a little fun fact about this movie it actually got a lot of. Uh, recognition through word of mouth 
because after when it was ticket pulled from the theaters, people started talking about it. Again, it's another movie I saw on uh, Up All Night. I used to watch a lot of USA Up All Night. Uh, so this came out and I fell in love with it. Just a different uh, thinking of like, what if there were so many gangs in the world or the gangs took over or uh, just a different aspect of stuff we deal with every day. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool the way the writer, uh, Walter Hill, had the gangs, different types of gangs. You know, baseball theories are probably the most famous part of this. Um, and I actually, this movie, Ronald Reagan was a big fan of it. He actually called Michael Beck to tell him he watched it at Camp David and loved it, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, what do you think about Swell? So I noticed a trend here in, in your movie picks. Um, you have two movies with Victor Wang in it. You have Big Trouble in Little China and you have Legend. And then you have two movies with, um, what is it, David Patrick Kelly? Yeah. Because you have the Warriors and you have the Crow, right? Because he played he played a, a pretty major character in the Crow. Um, but I love character. the Warriors. I think the war. I think the cool thing for me about the Warriors is that it all takes place in one night. Yes, I love the fact that it takes place over one night, and it's just these guys trying to survive and get home from one end of the like the largest city in the world to the other end of the largest city in the world. Um. And then all the all the crap that they have to overcome to get home, and some really sweet brown leather vest. <laughs> Definitely, uh, like I was saying, the uh, score by uh, Derry, Barry D. Borison. Just the uh, the scene where they meet the baseball furies for the first time and they run away from just the music. Even though it's kind of like kind of like a synthesizer type keyboard music, it's it's it still awesome. Yeah, it's it awesome. Works. Even till today. Yeah, um, it's a to me, it's a classic. Uh, so let's go on to my next one. Groovy. You only need one word for this one. 1981's The Evil Dead, uh, directed by Sam Raimi, uh, starring Bruce Campbell, Ellen Sandweiss, and also Sam Raimi was the voice of the dead. Uh, this movie took several years to make. It had a $375,000 budget and only made $2.4 million at the box office, but it did spawn two sequels a remake and a TV series, uh, Ash vs. the Evil Dead, and several video games, including one coming out this year. Uh, this movie has a huge cult following. Bruce Campbell, it's probably, this is the movie that made him a uh, B-level B star, as he calls himself. Uh, this, like, everybody loves the Evil Dead. I know there's conventions thrown for this movie. There's also people begging Bruce Campbell to come out of retirement to play Ash. Uh, this movie inspired kind of the gory or um, gory slash comedy horror more. Uh, and that has taken off. Uh, this movie around is just fun. It's weird. And I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic. The 2013 remake wasn't so much. It was way like bloodier and way more gory. Um, but. Like, what what can you say about the Evil Dead? Everyone that has seen it loves it it's goofy it's campy it's over the top um but it's still it's still pretty creepy like the house in the woods like it's still pretty creepy to me yeah definitely and it was a movie that wasn't supposed to be taken completely serious i mean he wanted to make a horror movie but it was a movie that wasn't supposed to be taken completely serious and i just love the fact too just digging into some background san Raimi and uh, bruce campbell are best friends from michigan and they, like I said, this movie took years to make. They actually went out and found financiers for the movie. And 
eventually when this movie was released, it made so much money overseas because it became so popular that those investors made five times whatever they invested, which is pretty crazy. And these two guys just wanted to have this movie appear at a Detroit movie theater they used to go to when they were kids. And they've made like now they've made a whole career out of it. Like he like Sam Raimi is doing the next Doctor Strange movie. He directed a whole Spider-Man trilogy. Um, they made a whole career from this B horror movie about, you know, this these these group of kids that go into the woods and rent this house, right? It's crazy. Definitely. And like you said, it has some creepy aspects in it. Absolutely. But let me get into my next one. Another one. All you need is one sound for that one. The Jesus. Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 1974. Directed by Toby Hooper, starring Marilyn Burns, Paul Parton, Jim Seidel, Edward Neal, um, John Loquette as the narrator, and Gunnar Hansen as Leatherface. Uh, this movie had a budget of 140000 It did what was successful at the box office, uh, making $3.9 million. But this movie actually is described as one of the greatest horror films and a major influence on the genre. It spawned nine sequels and remakes, including a sequel made in 2022 on Netflix. This movie, like, to me, it personifies what a cult classic is. It was gory at the time. This movie was made in the 70s. Gory at the time. Nobody's ever seen it. Uh, a movie like this. It was a horror movie, and it spawned a whole franchise, and it's still something that is still looked at today. Leatherface is probably considered one of the greatest uh, monsters. He's iconic. Yeah, so... What year did this come out? 1974. So this uh, predates Halloween by four years. Yes. Halloween doesn't get made if this movie doesn't get made. Yes. This is, like I said, this is a movie that they said spawned the uh, horror movies, more gory horror movies, and they say it made a major influence on the genre. Like, um, seriously, <clears throat> like Halloween doesn't get made. Nightmare on Elm Street doesn't get made. Friday the 13th doesn't get made without this movie. Like, setting that precedent leatherface is iconic the the gas station in texas is open as a tourist stop you can go to that gas station and you can check it out and you can eat there it's a barbecue restaurant i don't know if i have the balls to eat at the barbecue restaurant that the gas station took place like that the movie took place in but like it's a real thing it has a following people love it it's a fantastic movie and it, you know, it's based on Ed Gain from like rural Wisconsin. It's, yes. it's fantastic. And uh, I can't remember if uh, Hills Have Eyes was made after this. I'm sure it was, but I can see a lot of influence in either or mo either movie dealing with it. And just the fact that uh, you're basically in the middle of nowhere. And in Texas, there are certain areas like this that are completely like that where you just have a house maybe for a few miles and just that aspect of what's creepy. The uh, sound effect that I use is actually a camera being taken in the a, a camera shot being taken in the middle of the uh, beginning of the movie. It's like taking like it's like evidence photos. Yeah, and that's so synonymous with the movie now. Like everybody, when you hear that noise, that noise, they think of the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, you saw me cringe when I heard that noise. <laughs> yeah. Like, like it's it's a real thing. Like, man. Yeah, it's uh to me it's it's awesome. I, I love this movie. But let me get to my final one. You break my record. Now I break you like I break your friend. 1988's Bloodsport, uh, directed by Newt Arnold, 
starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, Donald Gibb, Leah Aries, Boyle Young, Forrest Whitaker. Uh, this movie had a budget of $1.5 million and it made a box office of $50 million, so it was kind of successful. Uh, this movie actually, to me, was a cult classic due to the influence it had going forward. This movie actually popularized full contact martial arts. And some even believe that this movie actually was the stepping stone to get UFC actually going. So give feeding that attention for it. Also, I found it hilarious that Donald Trump says this is his favorite movie. That says that says some things. <laughs> I, gotta, um, I try to keep try to keep our political thoughts uh, out of the pod, but that says some things. It's it's hilarious to me. Uh, also, great great uh, theme song by Stan Bush Fight to Survive where they keep shouting Kumite. Uh, it's a corny movie but it's to me it's awesome with the fight scenes. Uh, John claude Van Damme this movie made him a star and there wouldn't be no John claude Van Damme without this movie. Yeah. Um, I have a couple questions about Bloodsport and they've always kind of bothered me and I'm just curious as to maybe you can shed some light on it since it's one of your top 10 cult classics. I also love it um, I spent many nights like staying up late watching this on Skinamax. Um, but my my questions are, and, and if you don't know the answer, it's fine. But how much cocaine did John Claude Van Damme do while he made this movie? I think this is pre cocaine Van Damme. Hey, when he did the quest, he started doing a lot of it. I think I think I think he probably did a lot of cocaine while he made this movie. <laughs> um, and two, um, John Claude Van Damme played this kid on a a military base right so he's uh yeah he's frank dukes he's on a military i think yeah he's on he starts off on a military he's base, on a military yeah. base but he grew up and he he wants to steal i guess his neighbors or a neighborhood guy's sword how the hell did frank dukes become a new york giants fan because he wears a <laughs> new york giants jersey in the movie am i wrong he's wearing a new no. york giants jersey when he tries to steal the sword yeah how the hell did he and become he, a New York Giants fan? This kid from Amsterdam is a diehard Giants fan. Yeah, and they have uh, his thick, also his thick accent in the movie is great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's something I think that's been made fun of a lot. Like, how the hell did Frank Dukes become a New York Giants fan? <laughs> uh, I, I guess they wanted to Americanize the character and they just threw it on there. Like I said, it's a very cheesy movie. Um, oh, it's corny, but it's amazing. It's like, it is 80s personified. You know, like, uh, even him and uh, whatchamacallit, um, Ogre. Oh, uh, D- D- Gibbon. Gib- D- yeah, Gib- him and Ogre are playing Kung Fu on like an arcade machine. And that's how they become friends. He's like, better pick that quarter up. Better be here a while. <laughs> yeah, not mentioning uh, the splits. The Van Damme splits and punched the nuts. That it's inspired or the combat strategy cage. The powder, the powder that blind- blinded him. <laughs> And yeah. the, the final fight, so he has to use just his other senses when he picks up the fish from the pond. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's awesome. Bloodsport's awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah, it kind of broke my heart. I'll be honest when I found out uh, Frank Dukes is a complete liar. But oh, yeah, because yeah, it's based on his novel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's based on his true story, and then all this stuff start coming out later about how he was just completely lying. But yeah, I, just, I love Bloodsport so much that I hated, I hated the follow up, uh, Kickboxer. I think was. I like Kickboxer. Like Kickboxer was okay, but it wasn't Bloodsport, man. No, no. Bloodsport um, was dope. John Claude Van Damme's got a, like a special place in my heart, even though he's when you think of action stars, it's always Stallone, 
or Schwarzenegger, and Van Damme's kind of like the, uh, like, I would say second tier. Bloodsport's another one of those movies that, like, when I had to go visit my mom in Little Hillbilly, Indiana, that, like, it got me through, like, a couple hours at a time because I could put it on and I could watch it and I could be entertained. So, like, for that reason, it always has, like, a fond, special place in my heart, and no matter how corny it is and no matter how much I disbelieve that he was actually a New York Giants fan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. But uh, that's my list. Let's get to Mr. Svoboda's list. Couple things before we get into my list, Yumper. Uh, love the way you pronounced my last name there. You just killed it. I loved it. You, you nailed it perfectly. Um, and your list was fun, man. I enjoyed your list. You have, uh, I don't want to say similar taste, but like you, similar appreciation for your stuff. Yeah, this list, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this list actually was very difficult to come up with. Uh, I went by most of the movies I've watched all the time. And we are going to have a throwaway. Uh, so we're going to have our five honorable mentions after this. But yeah, it was, this is probably the hardest episode doing research for and making a list for. But yeah, it's fun. But uh, let's get to yours, man. Love let's it. Start, let's start off with your first one. Wolfman's Got Nards, the 1987 movie The Monster Squad, directed by Fred Decker, starring Andre Gower, Robbie Keeger, Brent Chalum as Horace, Stephen Mock, and Duncan Riger as Dracula. Uh, the movie had a budget of $12 million and a box office of 3.8. Tell me, so why is this your cult classic? Um, Monster Squad hit every aspect that the Goonies hit, but it also incorporated you know, those classic universal monsters, um, you know, Wolfman and Dracula and the creature from the Black Lagoon. It's funny. It's kids swearing. It's like kids discovering, like checking out girls for the first time. Um, it's friendship. It's adventure. It's it's perfect. And I like I have vivid memories of like my old man just getting tired of taking me to the video store on Bartlett Road. Like. Are you renting the Monster Squad again? Like, yeah, Dad, I love it. Like, thank you. Um, it, it's 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 the Goonies, but better in my opinion. Yeah, the Goonies is always a special place in my heart. But this is kind of like is very uh, Goonie esque to me. Like, but with horror characters, like, and like the uh, monsters that are pre uh, shown in this movie. You know, the old school Dracula, the Wolfman, the Mummy. Like, those are the universal monsters that. You know, when we got older, we grew up with those. Like, we watched them. Those are the ones, Bela Lugosi as Dracula. You know, those are the movies that set the standard. And I thought it was really cool they brought them back for this. Uh, the movie, like uh, I said, didn't make a lot of money at the box office, but it got a huge following, again, through VHS rentals. We're kind of seeing a um, pattern here. And, you know, people fell in love with it to the point where they actually released several special editions, and they actually had the cast come back and talk about it. There's, There's been a talks. whole documentary about, like, they made a, a documentary called Wolfman's Got Nards. Yes, yes. Uh, and there also has been talks about a sequel, but that kind of fizzles out uh, with the original cast. So, I don't know. I mean, with Hollywood these days, we don't know what could happen. Who knows? But it's it's probably my favorite cult classic. Nice. I know Fids appreciates, appreciates it, too. He would. <laughs> Jeffrey Wright's not in it, but. Yeah, that's the only drawback of it. But uh, let's get to our next one. <laughs> 
bunch of Hocus Pocus! <laughs> 1993's Hocus Pocus, directed by Kenny Ortega, starring Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimy as the Sanderson sisters, Omari Katz as Max, Thora Birch, and Vanessa Shaw. Uh, this movie made $28 million on, um, actually it was a $28 million budget, and it made 45 at the box office. Uh, tell me why it's one of your favorites, Will. So this movie didn't become a favorite of mine until like, later on in life. But it's one that, like, I think the whole family can watch. Like, it's it's friendly for everyone. But Halloween's also my favorite holiday, right? Like, I love Halloween. I love dressing up. Um, I love, like, going to Halloween parties and hanging out. And this one is just, like, a perfect Halloween movie that anybody can watch. If you have young kids and you're at a Halloween party and Hocus Pocus is on, it's cool. It's not like having a Halloween or Texas Chainsaw Massacre on in the background. And a six-year-old runs in and they're like, what the hell is going on? Um, it's funny. It's just a. It's got like Disney '90s written all over it. Um, even like if you watch it, it has like the old school Disney intro with the three lines through the castle. Um, it's 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 just perfect holiday goofiness. Yeah, uh, totally, and it's something that totally still holds up today. My son loves the movie. I mean, they're making the sequel comes out in October. Yep, it comes out uh 2022 on Disney Plus actually too. Uh, some interesting stuff I found about it, though. Uh, the movie, again, although they make, it made some money at the box office, but a lot of the following got pulled through the ABC Family airings and the Disney Channel when they played a movie during Halloween for those. actually got uh, a lot of people drawn up to it to watch it. And this movie actually spawned other movies like Halloween Town for Disney to make. Um, also, something I found really interesting is Leonardo DiCaprio was actually offered the role of Max first. But he passed on it and took the role in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Yeah, so that was something really, really interesting. But uh, let's get to our next one. Even if we could launder money, I wouldn't want to. What we've done is bad enough. We get caught laundering money. We're not going to White Collar Resort Prison. No, no, no. We're going to federal pound me in the ass prison. 1999's Office Space, directed by Mike Judge, starring Ron Livingston, Gary Cole, Ajay Nadu, Jennifer Aniston, David Herman, and Steven Root. Uh, this movie made $10 million, at, uh, was actually a $10 million budget, and made $12.2 million at the box office. Tell me about it as well. I mean, I think I saw this movie not because I thought it looked funny, but because I know the guy that made Beavis and Butthead made it. Um, and that's why I originally saw it, and it turns out it's just a funny movie. And I didn't appreciate it till I became an adult and I actually had to go to a job every day. Um, um, Diedrich Bader is hilarious. Um, I think I still quote that line all the time. Like, when where I work, when someone new comes along, they always ask, what would you do if you had a million dollars? And it takes everything in me, everything in me not to say two chicks at one time because that's what Diedrich Bader says. Um, it takes everything in me not to say that. It's so quotable. It's funny. Jennifer Aniston is super young, but smoking hot. It, it's just a great movie. Yeah, Dietrich Bader is one of those comedians that he doesn't have like lead roles, but the little, you know, sprinkles in little pieces. I mean, he was in uh, Napoleon Dynamite as Rex, Rex Kondo. Also in uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back as a security guard. He's How hilarious. 
how did that not make any of our list either? Like, I know I told you this was a hard one for like me. Napoleon Dynamite and Jan Silent Bob, like right off the bat, two lines come to my mind, right? You think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? And then, <laughs> and Jan Silent Bob, now you look at him and you say, oh, what a lovely tea, tea party. party. And the part where he's like, it's either this or prison, man. And he goes, he looks at him at Dietrich Bader and he's like, I was a guard. <laughs> But yeah, that that movie, um, those two movies are great. Yeah, I, like I said, this is like the hardest list I had to come up with. Um, but just some fun facts about the movie. Mike Judge hated the iconic poster with all the post-it notes. He hated it. He uh, thought that the um, made a look, person look like Big Bird. Uh, he was not a fan of it. Um, he also said that the uh, production company was a distribution company. was actually pushing for him to have different characters cast uh and he didn't like that aspect of it uh it also spawned a mo- sequel called extract which is actually office space but from a manager's perspective and it's actually stars jason bateman not as popular as office space but it was a pretty good movie i also think ben affleck is in that movie right i think so uh to be honest with you i haven't seen extract um but from the reviews i was reading people were saying it's pretty good but not in the level of office space i mean usually when you follow the sequel to the classic is kind of hard. Uh, but yeah, this movie was hilarious. Milton is probably an iconic character with his red stapler. Uh, you have the iconic scene of when they beat the shit out of the fax machine. The fax machine. <laughs> <laughs> That's been parodied over and over. Uh, and this movie relates to a lot of people who work in office or jobs that they hate. Uh, but let's get to our next one. I'll tell you what you need is a fatty boom batty blunt. And then I guarantee you see a sailboat, an ocean, and maybe even some of them big titty mermaids doing some of that lesbian shit. Speaking of Kevin Smith, 1995's Mallrat, uh, this is directed by Kevin Smith, right after he did Clerks, uh, starring Shannon Doherty, Jeremy London, Jason Lee, Jason Mewes, Ben Affleck, and Michael Roker. Uh, this movie had a budget of $6.1 million, with a box office of 2.1 million. Um, tell me why you like it so much, well. So I think in the in the ranking of Kevin Smith movies, this movie is severely underrated. It has so many fantastic like running jokes. What like the back of a Volkswagen, um, the chocolate covered pretzels. The cast is fantastic, and it has all these pop cultural references that nerds like you and I understand. You know, Punisher War Journal, copy of Fletch. Wolverine and his adamantium claws. Um, like just comic book reference after comic book reference. Like there's a bat uh, 89 Batman reference in, in the movie. Um Jane Silent Bob are hilarious. And the the premise is just stupid. Like, um I, I've watched many Kevin Smith documentaries, and the studio wanted something to be like they wanted it to be like die hard in a mall. But with like this comedic, like, like, like tone throughout. And like Kevin Smith talks about test screenings and how they're like, oh, we haven't had a test screening that good since Animal House. That there's never been a test screening in the history of our company as good as Mall Rats. Like the last one was Animal House. This movie's going to be huge, it's going to be fantastic. It was in theaters for a week. Yeah, and that's something that surprised me. Uh, just when I was reading a little bit about it, you know, this movie was kind of panned a lot by the critics. Uh, Roger Ebert, who's a, actually surprisingly a big fan of Kevin Smith, 
said that after Clerks, he kind of seemed like he went more mainstream with his style in this movie. And it actually got to the point where all the criticism, Kevin Smith actually started agreeing with it, saying, yeah, I kind of pushed a little more for mainstream. Well, he had the he had Universal like beating down his like beating like looking over his shoulder. In fact, like um, Jason Mewes wasn't supposed to play Jay in this movie. They wanted it to be Brecken Meyer or Seth Green. And they're like, we're going to let him come in and he's going to he's going to pay for his own hotels. He's going to pay for everything on his own. And if we don't like the dailies um, after a week, then we're going to replace him. We're going to pull the plug because what they didn't want was an Eric Stoltz, uh, Michael J. Fox situation where like your ex, you know, your X amount of days into recording. So like Kevin Smith had some trouble with the studio about casting. Uh, he wanted Jason Mewes in there. And I can't imagine anybody else playing Jay besides jason Mewes. no especially coming from clerks james Silent bob and uh jason Mewes also being a good close friend of kevin smith to this day uh another thing to check out if you have time is the jay and silent bob get old podcast oh it's, Those, yeah jay and silent bob get old is fantastic um, um and also kevin smith wrote a book about like you know his daily like life and there's a whole chapter in there about jason Mewes and his heroin use and how he's overcome it. And it was like one of the one of the best reads I've ever read. And like I have so much respect for Jason Mews now. Um, yeah. Yeah. And just Kevin Smith too. Like, uh, you know, I know we're kind of going off subject, but Kevin Smith as a person, this is stuff he's done as a friend for Jason Mews. And Jay, you could tell Jason Mews really appreciates it. Like he's a Kevin Smith is a good, good person. Like a good, he's a good guy. Dude. I love Kevin Smith. I like his movies. Um and I honestly, like, we'll get into this on a different pod or whatever, but, like, my my favorite Kevin Smith movies is when he's just being himself. Like, Mallrats is a cult classic, but, like, Zack and Mary Make a Porno is probably my favorite Kevin Smith movie. Yeah, his movies are the best when he, may, you know, when he's just being himself. And if you look at his filmography, his director, like, Mallrats, and then he had uh, Chasing Amy. Chasing Amy, Dogma, had, uh, Dogma. Dogma. Strike Back. Then he did Jersey yeah. Girl. Yeah, Jersey Girl. It was okay. And then he did but, Clerks 2. Clerks 2. But even going to Dogma, like that was totally something that none of us has ever experienced. But yeah, like, I know we're like, I know can, you we're imagine, about it. can you imagine the studio pitch? Like you walk in, you're like, hey, I want to make this movie about two angels that get expelled from heaven. And they have to go live in Wisconsin. And they want to get back into heaven. But God, Alanis Morissette is like, no, sorry. So I gotta send like the last descendant of Jesus Christ to save it. Like the whole concept of that movie is nuts, but Kevin Smith just made it work. Yeah. And also a fun fact about that movie, they had a protest about it, the uh, religious, religious sector and Kevin Smith actually showed up to the protest and was interviewed on live TV about it against his own movie. And people didn't know who he was, which I thought was hilarious. No idea. Um, but yeah, Mallrats, uh, to me, it's a classic, but uh, let's get into our next one. White frame. I'm with the label. I'm in town scouting for some new talent, and I wondered if there's anyone worth hearing. 2001. This is actually one of our old, uh, newer cult classics, Josie and the Pussycats, uh, directed by Harry Alphonse and Deborah Kaplan, starring Rachel A. Cook, Tara Reid, Rosario Dawson, Gabriel Mann, Paulo Costanzo, and Alan Cummings. Uh, this movie had a $39 million budget, and it made only 14.9 at the box office. Tell me about it as well. 
So everyone that knows me knows that like I'm a pop punk kid. I spent Saturday night going to see the Wonder Years and Spanish love songs. I love loud, aggressive, obnoxious pop punk. And the whole soundtrack to this movie was just uh like good, goofy pop punk. That's all it was. Um it was um uh what I think you said Harry Kaplan and Deborah Elephant or vice versa. Who directed it? It was Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elephant. Yeah, it was both them. This was their follow-up to Can't Hardly Wait, mm-hmm. um, which is like top five favorite movies of all time for me. Um, but it's fun. It's goofy. It's about friendship. It's got a fantastic soundtrack. It's it's loud, obnoxious. It's, it's girls playing guitar. Um, and then the cast is really good. Uh, the the boy band du jour <laughs> is uh, is Seth Green and Donald Faison. And uh, who was the kid in Can't Hardly Wait? The Russian exchange student. But like oh. the cast <laughs> is really good. Um, it's just, it's stupid. It's a terrible movie. It's a terrible movie, but I love it. And it's, it's got a, a cult following because of the soundtrack and because of how goofy it is. Yes, uh, Kaplan and Elfront, they are really, really good at picking good soundtracks for, or, and scoring their movie. This movie, like I, like you said, uh, just for me reading it, I watched it. I, it wasn't a great movie to me, but the music in it is the best part of it, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, and that's why it's still out there today. I think it's also, was this movie based off a cartoon? Yeah, it was part of um, like the Archie series. Like Josie and the Pussycats was like, was part of the Archie series, I believe. I'm, I don't remember like that stuff that much, but I do know that it was based on that. Like Archie, Jughead. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. So Hanna-Barbera and Archie comics. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's really corny, but it's corny. I love uh the music in it. I'm also a big fan of Alan Cumming, another guy yeah, who, who plays really the record executive that like is helping brainwash like like the listeners to buy more product. It's and the the message of the movie is like consumerism is bad, which is kind of the perfect segue into my next cult classic. Yes, so let's get into that one. Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Wow. Next one is 1999's Fight Club, directed by David Fincher, starring Edward Norton, Brad Pitt, and Helen Bonham Carter. This movie had a $65 million budget, and it made $101 million at the box office. Let's hear it, Will. Wow, that was the perfect segue. Like, I don't know, and we didn't rehearse that at all. No. Um, so this movie was popular, and it made some dough. I think a lot of people missed the message. It's based on a, on a really great novel. Um, but I think the performances and the way this movie is shot, it w- what makes it a classic for me, right? Like Edward Norton and Brad Pitt playing the same character. If you haven't seen it, then like, sorry, it came out in 1999. Um, yeah, there's no there, real spoiler alert for that one. Yeah, like there's just some iconic scenes in this movie, like like uh, Tyler splicing a, a single frame of pornography into Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, right? Or like him pissing in the lobster bisque. Um, and then, you know, his name is Robert Paulson. There's just a lot of iconic scenes in this movie. It has the David Fincher look, just like Seven, just like Zodiac. It doesn't yeah. hold up as well as I thought. I watched it the other night, but like it, it has a cult following for a reason. Yeah, and this movie actually spawned a whole different look in terms of cinema on the 
uh, American political life. Uh, like he's consumerism is a big sticking point in this movie and how we work for things that we're never going to need and eventually uh, die. That was a big sticking point. Uh, this movie, like from what I was reading, it was very surprising to me because it was loved or hated by critics. And like for me, I think the thing that annoys me the most is that like Dave Matthews band fret boy dirtballs took this movie and like put a whole new meaning on it. They're like, oh, it's about fighting. It's about dudes like that has nothing to do with what the movie is about and what the message that was being conveyed. And I think that's where a lot of it's like it lost some appeal to me, but I still love it. Yeah. And this movie, again, with due to the subject matter, it wasn't heavily marketed by the uh, distribution company. So this movie actually made $101 million by word of mouth. That's how it made most of its money was because word of mouth by people going to see it. Also, uh, Rosie O'Donnell hated this movie to the point where on her show, she spoiled the ending on the first day of its release. That makes me love the movie even more now. Like Rosie O'Donnell <laughs> hated this movie. I love it even more. I remember very vividly, like I was living at my buddy's house when this movie came out on VHS. And he bought it and he was obsessed with it to the point where like he would fall asleep with it at night. And I got sick one night and I took a bunch of NyQuil like to, to feel better. And I woke up and I had the craziest David Fincher fight club fever dreams that I've ever had in my entire life. And I didn't watch the movie for the longest time. <laughs> so you were fighting in fight clubs, Paul? I wasn't fighting in fight club, but like, man, shit was just weird. No, this movie's great though. Uh again, you know what? Uh, Brad Pitt finally won an Oscar for his uh role. What was the role he I won it for? I believe was it um Hollywood story, the new one just came out. Oh once about time in Hollywood. Hollywood. Did he win it for that? I think he might have won it for that. But um well deserved. He's such a like Brad Pitt is considered like a A-list actor, but he's kind of not up there with the uh, you know, the De Niro's and whatnot. But Brad Pitt can hold his own. Like, he's a very, very good... He can do comedy. He can do, you know, romantic uh, stories. He can do, uh, uh, you know, more serious roles. I was very and, surprised to see him in the trailer for this new Sandra Bullock Lost City movie. Yes, I saw that too. Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock. And Brad Pitt shows up. I'm like, what the hell? But all right. Like, yeah, I'll watch a movie with Brad Pitt in I don't care. Yeah, he's hilarious to me. Um, but yeah, Fight Club's a great movie. But uh, let's move on to the next one. Well, your best better get a hell of a lot fucking better, or you are going to feel a hell of a lot fucking worse. 1996, From Dusk Till Dawn, directed by Robert Rodriguez, starring Harvey Keitel, George Clooney, Quentin Tarantino, Juliette Lewis, Danny Trejo, Cheech Marin, Fred Williamson, and the beautiful Selma Hayek. This movie was a budget, had a budget of $19 million, and it made $59.3 million at the box office. Let's hear it, well. I just love the premise of this movie, right? Like, like the like, uh, Quentin Tarantino and George Clooney are, are brothers, and he's got to bust his other brother out of jail. And they they go to this bar, and they're stuck in this bar. And they look at each other, and Seth and I think it's it Seth Gecko, right? <laughs> he looks at him and Richie Gecko, right? Yeah, Richie and Seth. Seth and Richie look at each other, and Seth goes to Richie. He goes, "Evil dies tonight." And he's like, they're stuck in this vampire like layer. Oh my God. And they're like, that's it. Like evil dies tonight. And what was the name of the bar? Uh, the Titty Twister. 
the titty twister, the titty twister, right? And it's built on these Mayan pyramids. Um, it's so goofy. It's so over the top. It was Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino, like teaming up to write this script. It's fantastic. I love it. I love this movie. I always have. And it was like George Clooney's first big movie role, like during the ER, like craze when he became an A-lister. Yeah. Uh, it's you had to bring up fucking Halloween kills. I just <laughs> it threw me off. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it to me, it's a it's a classic Robert Rodriguez uh, film. This is like right after Desperado. Uh, this movie uh, again features uh, Tito La Riva, which is the band that's in there. His Tito and the Tarantula is the band. Uh, the music in it is awesome. They were also in La Bamba too, right? Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't know if they were in La Bamba. I, I, I'm almost positive they were the band when, um, when Richie and his brother, who was what was his brother's name? Bob. Isai Morales. Bob. Bob takes him down to Mexico, and they're the band. In the bar. I'm looking right now. I don't think they were in La Bamba. I know they were in uh, one of our Beef Float's favorite movies, Roadhouse's uh, opening scene with um, Sam Elliott and uh, Patrick Swayze. They're actually the band playing at his uh, club in the beginning of the movie. It was hard for me to not put Roadhouse in this. It's another movie, too. Yeah, I had that one, like close to getting that one. Um, But yeah, also, uh, this movie spawned uh, a TV series that never aired and two sequels. Uh, and it still holds up to today. And also, like, for most of the youngins and uh, the Sama Hayek scene is still talked about to today. Absolutely. I think we probably have that conversation once a week in our group <laughs> chat about the Sama Hayek scene. <laughs> yeah, Sama Hayek is, uh, she's my celebrity crush. Like, I love Sama Hayek. Yeah, it's a great uh, movie. <laughs> but uh, let's move on to the next one. Should have allowed nature to take its course. In the end, it will anyway. So let me the fucking out! Yeah, man, Mark Wahlberg wanted to get in there. Uh, 1996 Fear, directed by James Foley, uh, starring Mark Wahlberg, Reese Witherspoon, William Peterson. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Alisa Milano and Amy Brennan. Uh, this movie had a budget of six point five million, and it made a box office of twenty point eight million. So, what do you think, Swell? Um, so this was the first R-rated movie that I saw without a parent, right? Like I, in previous episodes, we talked about how I saw movies with my dad that I shouldn't have been watching: Goodfellas, Casino, The Deer Hunter, The Godfather. But my dad dropped my buddy Jimmy and I off to go see this movie at Sony Theaters in Streamwood under the guise that him and I were just going to go see James and the Giant Peach because it came out at the same time, right? My buddy and I were like, fuck that. We're not going to go see James and the Giant Peach. We bought our tickets to see James and the Giant Peach and we snuck into fear and we were scared shitless that an usher was going to come in and kick us out of watching fear because we shouldn't have been watching fear at what I would have been 14 at the time. And this movie was crazy. Like it's, it's a corny over the top stalker movie, but it's good. It's really good. Um, uh, Bush does a couple songs on the soundtrack. It's fantastic. And there is a fantastic cover of the Rolling Stones, wild horses 
on the roller coaster scene. And if you don't know the roller coaster scene, I highly suggest you watch this movie because um, the roller coaster scene's intense. Mark Wahlberg is this crazy stalker. Um, William Peterson is the dad. It's like suburban Seattle. It's 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 a great terrible movie. Most of my movies are great terrible movies. I don't think you know it's it's a great movie. I don't think it's that bad. Uh, actually, in Mark Wahlberg as a creeper, this is pre Mark Swole Mark Wahlberg. Um, he's still fit, but he's not. Oh, as he's as fit, much. and like he was trying to get out. Like he was trying to be a more serious rapper. And there's a scene in the movie where his music is playing in the background, and it's like the worst wannabe like trap music I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> like it's terrible. It's Mark Wahlberg trying to be a gangster rapper. Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, man. You can't and this was that. not good vibrations. This was like, like a bad. It was bad. Uh, funny thing, my um, my dad's sister, my aunt, who's like, uh, we're about like ten years apart, 10, 11 years apart. Um, she uh, she was a big fan of Mark Wahlberg, and she actually had Mark Wahlberg's like gangster rap. And I remember listening to it as a kid, being like, this is like horrible music. I don't know why I just I love this movie probably because it reminds me of my buddy my buddy Jimmy um, and like he was the one like him and I went to go see my next cult classic together um, and I'll tell the story about that movie but like it reminds me of my buddy Jimmy it reminds me of being 14 15 years old and sneaking into the movies and it's just fun it's stupid fun yeah but uh, as you said let's get into your next one Results of the faith of the power the mercy of God. Rest in peace. Amen. Land the party feel the spirit of son. I had to include that long one just for the fact that John <laughs> Voigt longest intro yet. Yeah, that John Voigt did not give a shit about oh almost the characters dying there. Uh this movie is the 1997 movie Anaconda, directed by Luis Yosa. Uh, starring Ice Cube, Jennifer Lopez, John Voigt, Eric Stoltz, Jonathan Hyde, Owen Wilson, and Carrie Wool- Ruler. Uh, also a special appearance by Danny Trejo. The movie had a budget of $45 million and it made $136 million at the box office. Let's hear it, Paul. Once again, man, this is all about place and time for me. Um, my same buddy, Jimmy, that um, I, I mentioned earlier, he hates snakes. Like he hates them. Like, like Indiana Jones hates snakes. Like he's afraid of them. And we dragged his ass to the theater to see this. And when I tell you his feet didn't touch the floor the entire time, I am not kidding. His feet did not touch the floor for the whole hour and 45 minutes of this movie was, he was that afraid that there was a snake loose in the theater. It creeped him out, but it's, it's so over the top campy and fun. And the special effects when you watch it now, are awful like yeah they're terrible um to me first like this movie like i had to include that scene because owen wilson gets killed if you haven't seen this movie i'm sorry it's a spoiler since like 25 years later 
<laughs> oh, Wilson gets killed, and John uh, John Voigt is supposed to play this priest or holy man, and he walks over, does a little prayer, and then gets up and throws the flowers he's holding he in the water. He gets the flowers and he does the blessing. <laughs> then he gets up and like calls the guy Westridge, the guy who's running the boat, like he doesn't give a shit. Like let's go. Yeah, John Voigt, like. His he's uh, supposed to be a, a Latin character or some aspect of it because they're in South America. His character in this movie is what makes this movie like as Sarone, his over the top portrayal is what makes me laugh. And the way he talks, his facial features, like his facial expressions is what makes you laugh. Me and my brother still talk about him like the way he uh, says anacondas <laughs> have heat seekers. You know, that part like he makes the movie to me. Um, this movie is one of those movies that is so bad it's good. And it's really surprising to me that Roger Ebert, of all people, gave this movie three and a half stars out of it's four. Fun. Like, it's fun. <laughs> it doesn't take itself too seriously. It knows what it is. And it's, it's just fun, man. And like, yeah, no one ever attempted to make a giant snake movie before. And they did. And it was goofy. And I loved it. And I might watch it tonight. Hell, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this movie spawned four sequels, including a Lake Placid crossover. <laughs> that's awesome. So that's actually a good uh, topic, crossovers. Ooh, maybe we have an episode on that one. But yeah, uh, Anaconda, it's uh, it's so bad. It's good to me. It's hilarious. I love it. Shout out to uh, Paul Sarone. But let's get to your last one. Yo, you conscious motherfucker. Unless you got a serious sleepwalking problem, we can straighten that right out. Yeah, we'll break your legs and kick your fucking ass. <laughs> 1990s House Party, uh, directed by Reginald Hudden, starring Kid and Play, the group Full Force, Robin Harris, Martin Lawrence, Tisha Campbell, and A.J. Johnson. Uh, the movie had a budget of... 2.5 million and it made 26.4 at the box office. Let's hear it, Swell. Oh man, I love this movie. This movie came out, I want to say I was in like eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade. Um, and everyone I hadn't seen it, everyone was talking about it, and I rented it and I was just obsessed with it. It's still got a line in there that I use all the time. There's a line when Robin Harris, who's a fantastic comedian, is walking to this house party to get his son and bring him back. Because he's in trouble. Robin Harris, a black man, gets pulled over by the cops. The cop goes, where are you headed? And he goes, I'm going to mind my fucking business. That's where I'm going. <laughs> it is the best fucking line I've ever heard. And it was delivered so flawlessly. And it's so relevant to the time. Like, with, with you know, cops harassing black men. Like, for no reason at all. Like, yes. it's so relevant to the time. He's like, I'm going to mind my fucking business. That's where I'm going. <laughs> that was actually... Uh... Another quote I was going to use for the open, but um, I love Pee-wee, uh, Bowlegged Lou as Pee-wee and his little, we're going to kiss the way he talks, cracked me up. It's so funny. But, like, yeah. there's, a, there's another scene in there where like full force, those guys are like, they get to the house party and they won't let him in. And like, they're trying to get kid to come out and fight. And he goes, it smells like, it smells like, it smells like pussy. And kid opens the door and he goes, it would smell like pussy to a bunch of dicks. And then slams the door shut. And they're like banging on the door. And then the same cops that were harassing Robin Harris arrest them for trying to set fire to the house that the house party was in. It also has, whatchamacallit, oh God, what's his name? Um, I'm having a brain fart. The dad from Friday. Um, oh, James, John Witherspoon. John Witherspoon. 
he's the he's the neighbor that calls the cops and complains about the noise at the house party. And it's it's just it's a freaking iconic movie. It's classic. I love it. Yeah, and uh two like other things about this movie. This movie actually uh first introduced uh Martin and Gina. Dragon Breath Wow. So uh that was you know, that's another aspect of the movie. I also found it uh cool that um this movie spawned four sequels and unfortunately LeBron James, K Fit's favorite player, is making a remake of this movie called with his Spring Hill Entertainment. So we'll see how that goes. But it's gonna be um, awful. I know how it's gonna go. It's gonna be awful. What Fitz called him a LeBron James a cover band because he just covers things that were successful. <laughs> and it's kind of fitting here. <laughs> but um another thing I found interesting too is Kid and Play actually weren't the uh, people in mind for this movie. It was actually uh, Will Smith and Jazzy Jeff. So the Fresh it's, Prince. I know how you feel about Will Smith, but like it's so much better with Kid and Play in it. Oh, definitely. Like it's it's just it's fantastic. If you haven't seen House Party and you're watching this this episode or listening to this episode, um, I highly recommend it. It's it's kind of perfect. Yeah, and the dancing and uh, music in it is pretty good too. Oh, the dancing where they tap the feet and they have the dance battle in the middle of the house party. I, I love this movie. It makes me feel like I'm living in, in my my dad's house on Streamwood again. Um, and I rented this from Line Video on Bartlett Road. Yeah, and I actually met uh, Chris Reed probably like 10, 15 years ago. Not real nice guy, super nice guy. Um, but yeah, that's our list. Uh, so those are our top. 10 list I would say I guess or our top 10 top movies of cult classics uh, but we do have some um, honorable mentions so as I was saying this is probably like the toughest list that I had to come up since we've been doing this show so I don't know about you I'm pretty sure it was tough for you as well yeah absolutely like this was like just picking 10 and like ranking them I guess because we kind of did 1 through 10 um, was really difficult. So the the ones that didn't make the cut are just because the list was too hard. Yeah. So let's get into our honorable mentions here. So I'll start us off. Um, I have one. This movie uh was a big on Broadway. Um, it was an adaptation of a Neil Simon play called Lost in Yonkers. The movie starred um Richard Dreyfuss and Mercedes Roll. It was based as a timepiece based in 1940s. Um, New York about a dad who gets his two kids over to his grandma's house while he goes and takes a job and a, a scrap heap boat to make money back to pay off a, a bookie that he owed uh, when their mom died. He was paying the hospital bills and the grandma's like a straight up mean lady from Germany. Uh, she is a horrible person, but you have Mercedes rule who has uh, uh, is mentally challenged But the movie. The whole movie to me was, it's hilarious with Richard Dreyfuss. Uh, it's a great play and a great adaptation in the screen aspect. Uh, I had a cult following for a little bit. A lot of people actually uh, reference this movie as better than the play. I don't know if it's that because I actually seen the play and it's pretty good. But um, it's one of those movies that I really liked a lot. What else do you got? So I have another one. Uh, Heavyweights. This movie has uh, got a big following. Uh, it, this movie... Start uh, the kid from the Mighty Ducks, I forget his name, Jerry, but Ben Stiller, this movie actually spawned the global gym Ben Stiller, Dwight, Dwight Goodman, to from Tony Perkins from Heavyweights. Uh, hilarious about these kids who go to fat camp 
Uh, I love this movie. It's still talked about today. And I still think Sims is a fast kid at camp. Uh, not Sims. Uh, Josh is a fast kid at camp. It wasn't Sims. Josh is also played by Goldberg from the Mighty Ducks. Uh, the movie's hilarious. And like I said, a big cult following. And it reminds me of the time when like Disney made movies that were kind of, you know, relatable to kids these days, like at the tickets at the time. And I don't know if they still do that, but this is one of the movies that uh, from the era that does. How about you give me one of yours? I have a couple. Um, I think my first one was um, American Psycho. Um, it was, I mean, I know Christian Bale had, had did stuff before, um, but it was almost my introduction to Christian Bale. Um, and then I, it kind of created this love of Brad Easton Ellis novels that I love, like um, Less Than Zero and American Psycho. And um, he did a whole bunch of novels and a lot of cocaine. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I also put kids on that list. The Larry Clark movie. Great movie. Um, not because I love it or like it makes me happy because that movie scared the shit out of me. Like I thought it was a documentary the first time I saw it. Yeah, that movie was put out to scare a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, that movie scared me. Um, one that I watched today, uh, another Robert Rodriguez, uh, Quentin Tarantino collaboration, Sin City. Another class. That's a great movie. Um, what else do you got? Uh, so I have a, a three more. Um, Bubba Holtep. Going Whoa. with the Bruce Campbell. Going with the Bruce Campbell connection. Yeah. Uh, and now that since there's an Elvis movie getting released, uh, basically Bruce Campbell plays Elvis, who is um, didn't really die. He just in switched a nursing his home, right? In nursing home. Yeah. So yeah. Ozzy Davis, as a guy who believes he's JFK, even though he is African-American. Yeah. Which I think is hilarious. Uh, and they fight a mummy. Just complete. The storyline, the story for the movie is just as ridiculous as it sounds, but it's hilarious. Um. Love that movie. Another one, uh, classic uh, that actually has gotten more popular these days, which is kind of funny, uh, is a movie called The Pest with John Leguizamo. One of my brother and myself, like one of our movies, used to watch all the time. Horrible premise. It's kind of got that surviving the game premise, but hilarious with Jeffrey Jones, uh, Freddie Rodriguez, and Ari Spears are in that movie. Great movie. And I'll round out my last one. And this movie was a complete bomb. Theoretically, and it got remarketed as a black comedy and it is huge. And that movie is Tommy Wiseau's The Room. Huge cult classic, horrible movie, but they have like room uh, conventions, room. Yeah. Whenever he comes, like Tommy Wiseau is a star because it's horrible movie to the point where James Franco actually made a movie about him called The Disaster Artist. I love The Disaster Artist and the book was even better. Mm hmm. Yeah, so those are mine. Uh, so let's hear yours, Will. I got two more. Um, Richard Kelly's Donnie Darko. Ooh, great movie. Uh, it was really hard for me to keep off the list. I, I honestly thought Richard Kelly was going to be the next big like director. Then he did Southland Tales, and he did some other stuff, and he just kind of fell off the face of the planet. Like I know he's still doing stuff, but like not on the scale that I thought he was. Like I know Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino said that like he was going to be the next big thing, and he, it just never happened. And then... It was really hard for me to leave this off the list because I put Mallrats on there, but Clerks. Yes. Oh, Clerks is so good, too. Yeah, I had a list of like 30 movies that I had to kind of slow down. So I tried this to was the most. Time. This was the most difficult list. Yeah, so we want to know yours, though. So let us know at Yumper and Swole on Twitter. Like, give us if you have a list or you can send them to us and we'll read them. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, this is like a fun episode. I really love cult classics, and I think uh, we do have similar tastes, and we do differ in certain areas. But that's the best thing about discussing stuff. Absolutely. <clears throat> but um, we're gonna start winding down and closing off this episode. But we want to let you guys know what is gonna come next. So we have a coming soon to our next episode of Young Principal. And, you know, me and Sol have been spitballing, thinking about it for a while. And we thought, what if we picked a year within the past 30 years and we just went to a deep dive of the movies from that year? So we're going to do this live on the broadcast. We're going to pick a year from the years 1980 to the year 2010. We're actually going to pick, do a random generator, number generator. And we're going to get the year we're going to do the next episode on. So let's do that now. And the year we got is 1993. So. Whoa. So just looking at it, like we have, we have some good movies to talk about here. Like we have some, yeah. Holy cow. This is going to be a fun episode. Yes. So look forward to that one. That'll be the next episode of Yumper and Swole. And so we are weeks. recording on alternate weeks with our, um sister broadcast or brother bot podcast whatever you want to call it um the tainted glove so we record on alternate weeks so they should be recording uh they recorded what this last week uh, i think the week before i think they're going to record this week if i'm not mistaken okay so wow we really dropped the ball on that one huh <laughs> um, i would say they dropped the boss well now <laughs> all right yeah uh but we, we we try to alternate it so you get an episode of them and you get an episode of us um but you know, all the content that we're bringing you is pretty fun. It's really just a bunch of guys shooting the shit and um, talking about stuff that they love. Um, so that's what's coming soon. We also have some other cool things that we um, are really, really, really excited about, the four of us. Um, and that should be also coming probably later this week, maybe. Yeah. So just keep an eye out to our Twitters uh, at Yumper and Swole and at the Tainted Glove. Uh, we'll be something announcing something there. We're really excited about it. Um, without you guys, this show is impossible. So we really greatly appreciate that. Uh, so I'm going to say my goodbyes right now to everybody. Thanks for uh, listening in. Uh, again, check us out at Yumper and Swole on Twitter. Let us know what you think. And check us out the, the YouTube channel, The Tainted Glove. Uh, and I'm going to shoot it over to my partner, Swole, with Swole's Last Thought. This is my final thought. Um, this is my time of the pod to talk about whatever I want. Yump gives me the mic. Um, and I, I think Yumper can probably agree with this. I know it was his first time back in the theater this week in a long time when he saw the Batman. But I absolutely love the movie theater experience. And I can't wait for summer blockbusters. I can't wait to get in and see, you know, loud, obnoxious action movies. and. Uh, eat popcorn and have a Coke freestyle because I love the movies. And I hope that you guys love listening to this podcast. Cause we love just talking about movies. Uh, you know, before we started recording, Yumper and I were just talking about how this is just an opportunity for two buddies to hang out and talk about movies for a couple hours. And you give us uh, that platform to do that. So we're very grateful for you and get to the movies and see the Batman if you can, because it's awesome. It's worth it. And that's all that I have today, guys. Take it easy, guys.
Thank you for listening to Yumper and Svo at the Show Podcast. A Tannin Glove production. That's it. I'm getting out of here.